And I'm going to introduce Susan, our minister in training, who is going to offer us a reflection this morning. Come on up. I should add that I was traveling last week, so I'm extra grateful that Susan was available this week to preach. It was already on the calendar. Well, today's message isn't so much a message as a commentary and something to think about when you leave today. In our lectionary, I had the choice, given the choice, of two of the four recommended scriptures. To choose, I first read all four to see if there were any continuities throughout the four scriptures, and I suspected there would be, and this is what I found. All the, every one of them, all scriptures addressed in one way or the other, the theme of righteousness and the power and wisdom of humans versing God. Psalm 15 concerns life standards in the time of David's reign. It goes, Who shall abide in God's tent? Who may abide on your holy hill? It is asking, Who gets to enter God's tent and worship in God's presence? And implied, and who doesn't? After listening, some, to some specific, after God lists some specific actions, take a breath, the psalm ends by those who do righteousness. Those who do all these things shall never be moved, God said. The New Interpreter's Study Bible um, says these are listed as positive deeds. They are to walk blamelessly and do what is right, to speak the truth from their heart, and three, do not charge interest, for in that way we are making profits on those who are already poor. It continues to say, honor those who fear the Lord God, and summed up, do justice to the poor, honor God and his power, and be humble, I think is what that's trying to say. The second scripture of the Old Testament came from Micah, who is a minor prophet, and God is having, as we heard from the scripture reading, a controversy with his people. God seems frustrated with people and questions their actions towards God. What did I do to warrant your actions? God threatens vengeance if the people can't adequately explain their actions, for God has saved them time after time. He, sent, he brought them from Egypt and guided them through the desert and gave them leaders such as Moan, Moses and Aaron and Miriam. He saved them so often, yet they disappeared. They disobey and rebel, and what does God ask in return? Does he require sacrifice? Year-old calves, thousands of lambs, and firstborn sons? No. The only request here is that you do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. I'm seeing a theme here. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is talking to, four, at first, just four disciples, but then the crowds start to gather. Jesus is recall, 
in the revelation of the commandments as given to Moses on Mount Sinai. There are nine blessings into two groups in, in the Beatitudes. First they say, this is, why I'm, this is who I'm blessing. And then it says, this is why I'm blessing you. Uh, and he, he gives them some information that's contrary to human, human logic. Jesus names those being blessed by their behaviors, not just attitudes. These behaviors have gained God's favor. Favors are bestowed on the poor and the powerless and the suffering. Not the rich and the famous. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Not to be confused here <clears throat> with the Holy Spirit. This is talking about the downtrodden human spirit caused by oppression. Blessed also are those who mourn the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who appear in heart, and the peacemakers. When the peacemakers are persecuted, they bump, they're bumped up quite a bit on, on Jesus's, Jesus's accounting sheet. And also, Jesus doesn't keep track. True power is God's, not the financial elite or the ruler. Those with the biggest weapons, such as the Roman Empire or other empires since then that behave in the same way, those who rather yearn <coughs> excuse me, for God's empire are blessed. Those who persecute and oppress will fall. The second half of each beatitude deals with the reversals of these conditions. The meek inherit the earth, and the elite will be challenged. And this brings us to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, where Paul is quoting the Hebrew Bible. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written in Isaiah, in Job, and Jeremiah. It must have been important. This power of God is important. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, this he says because many of the Jewish leaders believed that the Messiah would work his powerful miracles in military might. That's a human definition. To the Greeks who sought philosophical wisdom, he says, and the discernment of the discerning will be thwart. So here Paul is, is, is impressing upon us that man's wisdom is not God's wisdom. Boy, I saw examples of that this week. I wonder if any of you others have on the local news. There seems to be a lack of, a lack of wisdom throughout the nation. Paul is saying all are saved through death on a cross. Paul sought to include Jews and Gentiles in a unifying message that all who believed in Jesus, who had faith, of varying degrees would be saved through the divine wisdom and power of God through the resurrection. He continues, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
Here again is the concept of humans being humbled in the face of God. According to the theologian Michael Gorman, he wrote The Apostle of the Crucifixion, a book this thick on Paul, let's just tell you that, of the, and I had to read most of it last semester. Yeah, the cross tells us something about Jesus, but it also tells us about God's power and wisdom. It's about serving others through love and wisdom that favors the poor, the weak, and the oppressed. These four scriptures readings pose some interesting questions for us. What is righteousness? What is righteous? How do we attain it? I think we often make righteousness way too complicated. We are overly concerned about getting the righteousness thing perfect. We either busy ourselves trying to be perfect, and when that is an unattainable goal, only God's perfect. Or we give up and just do what is right in the moment, which often is not wisdom. For sure, not God's wisdom. Or we give up. Oops, I, just, I told you that. I believe, and these scriptures seem to back me up, to be righteous, we only need to treat ourselves and the ones around us in a manner consistent with actions that are motivated in love and truth. In case you missed it, to be righteous, we only need to treat ourselves and others in a manner consistent with actions that are motivated in love and truth of the heart. This is the example Jesus set in his daily gestures of feeding the poor, sitting with the oppressed, welcoming the sinner. When... When he fed the large numbers of people, when he had but a few fish and some bread, how did he do that? Well, per perhaps Jesus fed those masses by asking members of the crowd to contribute. Or maybe it was a miracle. Either way, it was done in love for humanity. It is the same love and truth which promotes forgiveness. Whether we are forgiving ourselves, friends, enemies, we have to release the hostility, this negative power within us. When we release the power to destroy and make room for love and let the power of the Creator deal with judgment. We might also remember, according to the story in Micah, Micah 5, though God threatened vengeance for Israelites' rebellious ways, the creator explains the way to God is to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. The creator has no need to barter with us. The creator merely wants to walk with us in a loving relationship and for us to walk humbly in the creation. Think of the hymn in the garden. That's what God would like to see. Walking humbly and simply means we relate to God by obeying the upside-down power and wisdom of the Lord. We serve others and we serve the Lord when we are motivated by truth and love. We don't have to worry about getting everything right. 
God will meet us where we are in this journey and guide us. Don't be overly concerned if you break a rule when you act out of brotherly love. God forgives us. We need only to listen to the message of the still speaking spirit of God and respect all creation. Praise God. Amen. Such a up and down, shall we say, week. It, it reminds me of something that one of my theology teachers, Dr. J. Johnson, always had us do at the beginning of every class. And I'm going to suggest that we put this simple thing into our lives, if you haven't already. It's when you leave here today, be mindful of how you act towards justice. Bear in mind, one truth spoken from the heart is truth. One gratitude daily change your life. Try to make these a daily practice. And every day, every class, Jay Johnson made say, put us in a circle, and each of us had to come up. And this was only 9 o'clock in the morning, and I'm not a morning person. But I had to be gratitude. I had to have gratitude for something. And I think it would be good right now if everybody just shouted out one thing that they have been grateful for so far today. And that's the end of my sermon. <laughs>